Thank you. Great. It sounds like I'm on, which is good. Well, hello. Let me reiterate a very warm welcome to you here in the room and if you are watching online. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah. I've been a part of Grace Church for almost 12 years now. I um, actually moved to Nottingham as a student uh, to come to university and I just fell in love with the city and what God was doing here and so I've just stayed around ever since. And it is my privilege today to continue through our Amos series. So for those of you who haven't been around or if you just need a little refresher, we've been going through the book of Amos as a church through the summer. Um, and I don't know about you, but for me, it's been quite a journey. Um, we studied this book in our home group a few years ago, and even being familiar with the book, it is still quite a challenge. So for those of you who do need a refresher, Amos is what we call a prophetic book. So in this case, Amos is a man who goes to the people of Israel, the people of God, and speaks the words that God has given him. So specifically, he goes to the city of Bethel, which was the religious center of the nation. And Bethel literally means house of God. This was meant to be a place where God himself and God only was worshipped. But the people have turned away from God. They're worshipping idols and false gods, and they're living unjust lives. And so the book centers on two themes, righteousness, right living, and justice. God's words through Amos are a call to the people to seek God and live. And so far in the book, it's been God's words to the people. So Amos is saying, the Lord said to me, and I said, and the Lord showed me. And then he shares with the people what he has seen or heard from God. But our passage today is a little bit different. So out of the blue and with no warning, the whole style of writing changes. We have a massive gear shift and we just get some narrative. We're told a little story. It's like a fly on the wall documentary of an encounter between a religious leader and Amos. So let's have a look at the passage. We're in chapter seven of Amos. We'll start at verse 10. The words will be on the screens behind me. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Okay, so if any of you were hoping that because we'd got some narrative, we were in for a more lighthearted time, I'm afraid I'm going to have to manage your expectations. There is still some pretty heavy stuff going on. So what's happened? So Amos has been preaching and prophesying in Bethel for a while, and it has been quite offensive, some of what he's been saying. 
But something has happened that has been the final straw for Amaziah the priest. Amaziah is high priest at Bethel. He's leading the people in all of their false worship and unrighteous practices. And something has happened that makes him think, I've got to do something about Amos now. So what has Amos done that has crossed the line? Well, the answer actually comes in the previous verses. Um, So just before this encounter, Amos has shared the words of the Lord, which will also be on the screen. So this is the, the words of the Lord. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I, God, will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So Jeroboam is the king of Israel. Amos has mentioned the king by name. So these are now no longer the words of an annoying preacher man who we can ignore or laugh at. This is closer to treason. It's like a man who's been kind of causing twister storms because of what he's been saying, standing outside St. Paul's Cathedral, turning to look at Buckingham Palace and threatening Queen Elizabeth. This is outrageous. Except, of course, it's actually not quite like that. Amaziah chooses to hear it like that. But Amos is not threatening anyone himself. He is speaking the words of God against the royal house. And it's against the royal house, the the dynasty. It's the line of kings that Jeroboam comes from and arrogantly thinks will continue in power forever. God speaks against it and says, this is not an everlasting dynasty. Your family's rule and reign will come to an end. But Amaziah willfully chooses to hear it as a threat from Amos rather than the word of the Lord, and he does something about it. Sorry, my hands are shaking more than my voice. Uh, Hopefully I won't spill my water. Anyway, so we see in verses 10 and 11 what Amos' response is. First, he sends a letter to the king. He misrepresents and kind of exaggerates what Amos has actually said and done, which are tactics that we often see used to oppose the people of God. But King Jeroboam doesn't actually do anything. We have no response from him. So Amaziah goes to plan B. Now, Amaziah's concern is not actually the life of the king. It is his own position. And we see that because he does just take matters into his own hands and confronts Amos. And we see his attack in verses 12 to 13. So he says, first of all, flee away to Judah. Go back where you came from. Which are words that might be sadly familiar to some in this room and a message that others will be familiar with. And then he says something a bit strange to our ears. He says, eat bread in Judah and prophesy there. So by that, he is implying that Amos is earning money from his prophecies. That was quite a common practice. So-called prophets would um, have a rich patron or people would pay them to speak the words of a god and the payers would expect to hear favorable prophecies. And so Amaziah thinks that's what Amos is doing. And then we get to the crux of his message. He says, never again prophesy in Bethel because Bethel is a temple of the kingdom. Amaziah claims that this is his territory. It comes under the religious authority of the priests here, of whom he is number one, and the authority of his patron, King Jeroboam. And so that's how Amaziah is displayed to us. He is a man who's trying to establish his own little kingdom. It's like he's saying, I reign here, my house, my rules. 
the words of the Lord have no place. So let's have a look at how Amos responds, which we get in verses 14 and 15. So he starts by saying, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son. So by that, he's not saying he's not a prophet. Um, He's not undermining his own calling. He's saying, I'm not a professional prophet. I'm not someone who is trained to do this for a living. I made my living elsewhere. And we see he actually had two jobs. One of the commentators calls him an agribusiness specialist, which I think is quite a cool job title. Um, It means he has expertise in multiple agricultural areas. So he says he was a herdsman, so he's a shepherd or a keeper of herds of sheep. And he's a dresser of sycamore figs. Um, I'm not one for gardening. I'm actually not very good at keeping plants alive at all. But I do, what I understand um, from what I've read is that um, figs grew in the region. And as they were growing, someone would go and kind of slice the skins um, while they're still on the tree, which would help the fruit to grow sweeter. So Amos is saying, I'm not in this for the money. I had a job. I had, I had a good job. I'm here because while I was going about my day-to-day business, God took hold of me, gave me a message, and a people to share it with. God said, go, and I came. I had a work trip up to the Northeast earlier this week, and I was able to stop in and see Rick and Cheryl Loosemore and their kids, which was an absolute joy. Um, So for those of you who don't know, Rick and Cheryl... Um, used to be here at Grace Church, but last summer they moved with a team um, up to Newcastle to plant a church there, so to share the gospel and establish a new church. And their story is a lot like Amos's. Cheryl even ran her own business. Uh, She was not an agribusiness specialist, although they are growing vegetables in their garden, so maybe she'll get there. But the point is, Rick and Cheryl and their team had work and friends and family and lives here, but God gave them a message to share and a people to share it with, and they obeyed, even in the strangest of circumstances. And I think others in our church community have similar stories of obedience. And in fact, for some of us, it is the opposite actions, but the same obedience that you've seen friends go first to Birmingham, and then to Manchester, and then to Newcastle, and you've wondered whether you should go too, but God said, stay, and you stayed and served him faithfully here. And we have people who have said no to lucrative jobs to free them up for something else. We've heard, uh, we've got people who have heard the call of God on their lives and followed him um, despite the pressures from family or communities or careers that might tempt them to go elsewhere. For many of us, that is why we have come to Nottingham. God had something for us here and we came. But obedience is not just in the big, life-changing decisions. It is also in the day-to-day living, living lives in submission to God wherever you are, including in the ways that Amos has been talking about so far. If we look back at the text earlier in the book, Amos has said, the Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? His words are echoed later in what the Apostle Peter Um, And some other leaders of the early church say, when the priests in Jerusalem try to stop them talking about Jesus, they say, we must obey God, not man. And we get here an immediate example of Amos obeying God, not man. Amos addresses the irony head on. He says, you have said, do not prophesy. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord. Amos speaks the word of God to Amaziah, and it is not a comfortable word. So I'm just going to reread it from verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your lands shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. This seems severe, and not just for Amaziah, but for those close to him as well. Commentators suggest that these are not separate incidents, they're connected. So another nation will come and invade Israel and take people as captives. That's been prophesied elsewhere in the Bible as well. And Amaziah will be among the first to be taken. He'll be exiled to a foreign land. His land will be divided up. He'll die elsewhere. His children will die when the invading power comes. And his wife, left with no one to support her, will either be abused or have to turn to prostitution to survive, possibly both. And Amaziah would certainly feel the weight and the shame of being left childless and of knowing his wife was being used by other men. But if you're anything like me, passages like this in the Bible can seem really distressing. I can, I can understand Amaziah's bit of this, but what, what do we do about his wife and children being caught up in it? A Bible teacher and speaker whose work I really love and would recommend is a woman called Jen Wilkin. And um, at, she says at various times and in, in various um, places as she's teaching through books of the Bible, personal sin always has collateral consequences. Individual sin leaves collateral damage. The phrase collateral damage, it kind of, it makes me think kind of like of action films. Um, you probably have seen there's a new James Bond film coming out um, this year, much anticipated. I'm not a big fan of James Bond, uh, but I've enjoyed watching some of the Daniel Craig ones. And there's, there's a scene in the beginning of Casino Royale, so that's his first um, foray into Bond, where James Bond and his colleague, two supposedly elite spies, are in Madagascar looking for a lead, but Bond's colleague is being an idiot. He's kind of talking like this into his um, microphone and his wrist. Um, so obviously, their target sees them, runs away. There's a big chase scene. They're climbing up scaffolding. They're swinging out over cranes. But it all culminates with Bond killing the man and in the process, blowing up an embassy building with a load of people inside. Inexplicably, Bond is fine. He does not suffer even temporary hearing loss from being right next to an explosion. But the scene cuts, and what is the big problem with what's happened? He got caught on camera, and he's caused a massive hassle. Not the death and destruction, not the families suffering in the wake of it. The scene moves on, and as the audience, our gaze moves with it. Um, now, James Bond, spoiler alert, not a very true-to-life espionage film, but... In any case, I don't think that is what Jen Wilkin is getting at when she talks about collateral damage. And I definitely don't think it's what the Bible is trying to say by including the consequences for these unnamed people. I don't think these people are merely collateral damage. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think it serves to say, look how much this matters. 
Our focus is left uncomfortably on Amaziah's wife and children. We see that Amaziah's actions have consequences for others as well as for himself. Others will have to live or die in the consequences of his bad decisions. And this should give us pause for thought. Throughout the book of Amos, we've seen this, and we only need to take a realistic view of the world today to see that it remains true. Our actions have consequences for other people, and so often it is the most vulnerable, those who God has given particular instructions about caring for, who suffer the most due to others' injustice or unrighteousness. But this moment should also bring home to us the fact that we too, at various times and in different ways, will be living in the consequences of someone else's actions. That might be direct suffering as a result of someone else, but it may well be the indirect or less instant but still very real result of the injustices that are baked into our systems and structures. Roger spoke last week about the way that injustice is just weaved into our economic systems. And we could say the same about racial injustice, environmental damage, corporate or political corruption. We're living in systems that are broken. This picture that we're given of Amaziah in this story that we've got points back to another person. Like I said, Amaziah lives in this place, Bethel the house of God. But he has said, I want this to be my house, the place where I rule, where I'm in charge. And so he has rejected God. And this is a pattern that we've seen actually throughout the Bible. And we can trace it all the way back to the very beginning, where in Genesis, we're told the story of Adam and Eve, where God made humans in his own image, made them to reflect his nature, to be like God, in his love and in his joy and in his goodness. But instead, Adam and Eve tried to rival God in his power and his sovereignty and his knowledge. They wanted to rule, and so they rejected God. And we're told that through that action, sin and death entered the world. And through that, it broke the perfect relationship we have with God, the perfect relationships with one another and even disrupted creation itself. And we continue to live in the consequences. And we talked about it in our worship time. The world needs a savior. And that doesn't mean it's never our fault. I think if we're honest with ourselves, as much as we've got lots of stories of obedience, which are beautiful and wonderful and good to share, at times I think we all can be tempted to be a bit like Amaziah or like Adam, to seek our own position and try to establish our own little kingdoms and ignore little bits of what God says. We need a savior. And we have one in Jesus. The book of Romans, which is a letter written hundreds of years later after the book of Amos, puts it really beautifully. And the words will be up on the screen. It says, for as by, oh wait, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Adam's disobedience brought about sin and death. 
and we continue to live in the consequences of that. But by Jesus' obedience, we are made righteous. So by his death and resurrection, Jesus has won for his people forgiveness and grace and new life. For those of us who know Christ, we get to live in the joyful, freeing consequences of his obedience. The book of Amos shines a light on right living. It shows God's heart for his people and says it matters how we live. But if we try to just live up to that standard in our own strength, we will either give up because it's too hard, or we'll start to minimize how important it really is because we just can't do it, or we will condemn ourselves and drown in guilt. But the person of Amos answers this by pointing us forward to when Jesus would come into the world. And I find these links between Amos and Jesus so incredible. See, Amos came with a message of repentance. He said, seek God and live. And Jesus came into the world not just with a message of repentance and redemption and reconciliation, but as the message. He is the means by which we turn back to God and find life. Amos was a herdsman, a shepherd, and Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who takes care of his flock, that's us, his followers, and knows us by name and leads us in paths of righteousness. Amos was a dresser of sycamore fig trees, tending the plant so that they would bear sweeter fruit. Jesus calls himself the true vine and us the branches that God himself will tend and prune so that as we remain in Christ, we too will bear good fruit of justice and righteousness. Jesus is the only one who can save us and he has saved us completely. And that changes everything for us. We act rightly in the world because we are made righteous in Christ. And so when we realize that we haven't done everything completely right, which will happen, we remain in Christ. And we look to him and we know forgiveness. And in his strength, we try again. We are made righteous in Christ, which means we live in the overflow of his death and resurrection. I have the band. As we um, come to an end, there were, there were three groups of people that I felt like God particularly wanted to address this morning. Firstly, if you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to look into his life and his death and his resurrection and see for yourself the invitation to come and find life in him. Secondly, I think God wanted to speak to those who feel more like the wife and children from our passage. That in a, maybe a particularly acute way right now, you are suffering under someone else's wrongdoing. Maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, maybe it's a regular thing and it is hard to bear. Jesus' life and death and resurrection are good news for you as well, because Jesus sees and he knows, and he's not okay with it, and he knows how to comfort you, and he will bring about his purposes. In Jesus, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come, and you are defined by the grace of God and not the sin of other people. 
And thirdly, I think he wanted to um, say something to those of you who feel like you are trying to live well in God, but feel like you are just drowning in guilt from not measuring up even to your own standard, let alone God's. And I think there's a reminder for you today that you are in Christ. There is no more condemnation for those in Christ. You can come again today and receive the grace of God that has nothing to do with how well you're doing and rely on his strength to keep walking with him.